they discuss the fact that he can karate chop people and they're like, oh, that's unusual. The karate chop is a Japanese trick. <laughs> and they're kind of disappointed in the detective for being knocked out by a karate As if all Japanese people should be immune to the karate chop. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Castle Bravo, a Godzillaverse retrospective. I'm Derek. And I'm Charlotte. And we're two siblings here to examine the history of the Godzilla franchise, one movie at a time. Charlotte. What's up? How are we doing today? I mean, I was doing pretty well until I sat down and none of my audio inputs or outputs worked. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a real comedy of errors trying to get this particular episode going. Uh, Because we recorded this before... or. We were intending to record this right after we did Screen Snark with uh, with Matt Stormy. Right. Um, and then part of the problem is that I have been working stupid hours at work because we're short staffed, which is not how things normally go. So that's taken up a lot of my weekend time. And then we and had then, like two Thanksgiving things. Yes. And that just kept us busy and then we were getting ready to sit down for today's episode and yeah your microphone simply wasn't registering anywhere because why would audio devices ever work correctly on windows right (laughs) not that it's much easier on mac because i'm used to dealing with with justin from scgc uses a macbook for all of his podcasting stuff and it's just a whole different suite of problems so maybe podcasting is just hell (laughs) It's our penance. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is our this is how we pay for the original sin. <laughs> so, so far on Castle Bravo, we've had a lot of monster movies. We've had a lot of pulp sci-fi movies. Um, you know, we started with the original Godzilla. There was a slate of them from from good to bad with like Rodan and Mothra being excellent. And then Varen the Unbelievable being kind of a mess We've had some really interesting, I think, I think, why did I type Ito's history? It's, it's. I noticed that. I was like, wait, that's not the guy we're talking about. I do have a, uh, a Junji Ito thing to, to make. I do have a comment in that regard, but that's not this part. Director Ishiro Honda's history with pulp sci-fi, I think has been more interesting. Mysterians was kind of a weird pulpy sci-fi alien invasion movie with a shitload of political messaging in it. And then we had Gorath, which was weird and nihilistic and kind of absurdist. And then you had Matango, which was really a very, very dark social satire. And then we get to today's movie, Dagora, (laughs) which is it. There is a giant monster, but I feel like I want to put it more in the pulp sci-fi kind of territory. But it's really not even a pulp sci-fi movie. It's it's more of this is a diamond heist movie with a monster in it. It is. It is. Yeah, it is a diamond heist movie. This is Ocean's Eleven, but there is a space jellyfish. Right. And it. The closest comparison I have it to anything is it's kind of like Gorath, which is also a movie that is is patently fucking absurd. Um, but Dagora, I think, only has sprinklings of the absurdity through it. 
I don't know. This is a very weird movie, and I cannot make up my mind on whether I liked it or not. Yeah, I'll get into that yeah. on my <laughs> end. But. We have we have a whole section dedicated to that. <laughs> we sure do. So I guess, Charlotte, why don't you explain what this movie is? What is Dagora? So this movie starts with scientists tracking a satellite in orbit, which is, I guess, a thing sat- that sci- I was going to say satellites do, that scientists do. When a giant amorphous blue thing appears and sucks it into its orbit, destroying it. And the movie just, it, that, that's like the, the open. Um, yeah, that's your cold open. Yeah. So a couple of cops then question a woman parked, out, uh, parked outside that's waiting for her boyfriend. She's just sitting in her car. It's late at night. You know, cops are like, what's going on over here? And while they're talking to her, this, a man is just floating down the street. Just <laughs> this fucking scene. I still don't fully understand the floating people. I don't either. I don't know that this is ever. I, I was trying because I saw that and I was like, okay, what bullshit reason are we going to have for people floating around it? And I don't think we ever get it. We don't. I, can't, I came up with one, but we don't. Yeah, but the sequence is fucking hilarious. Yeah, he's just like on his side, floating across just the street, basically. Talking in his sleep, hands <laughs> under his face, like cartoon sleepy style. Yeah. This might as well have been Tom from Tom and Jerry in like a sleepy nightcap, just yeah. like levitating down the street. It was it was very cartoonish. Yeah. And while all these distractions are happening, a gang of diamond robbers are breaking into a jewelry store in Tokyo. They're all in Tokyo right now. And before they can empty the safe, this unseen force lifts them up into the air and they they just start firing wildly because they don't know what's going on. And the firing alerts the police officers and the police officers, you know, roll up trying to see what they can do. But the the gang just leaves empty handed. He's like, fuck this. We got ghosts. (laughs) There's ghosts and there's cops. I'm leaving. And then after they leave, the entity that was lifting everybody up like shows itself as this blue pulsing mass and then it cuts a hole into the vault door. So that happens. And I, I feel like my, rec- my, my notes about this movie are a little bit all over the place because so well, the much movie happens is all kind of all the over the fucking yeah. place. So cause like we go from that to, well now detective Komai is trailing Mark Jackson, the self-professed diamond broker, but hold up, thief. hold up. We have got to talk <laughs> about Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson, who is a white guy, played by a white guy, who is speaking in Japanese poorly, and then in the American version and English dub gets redubbed, but not by the original actor. Yeah. This guy is the biggest shithead of yeah. every movie we've seen so far. This dude is chewing the scenery and eating shit everywhere he goes and like you can't be mad at him no i kind of love this fucking asshole because i know i know i talked about him a lot on um screen snark yeah because he's just he and i didn't get it because i hadn't seen the movie but now i have and this man made the movie for me 
Yeah, no, he's like the core of this movie. There's, there, there's, there's a heist going on. There are gangs. There's this whole thing going on with the space jellyfish. But this movie is about Mark Jackson. <laughs> Mark fucking Jackson. <laughs> and Mark Jackson calls himself a diamond broker, but you know the detective that's trailing him knows what's really going on. And so he's trailing Mark Jackson to the home of a noted crystallographer, Dr. Munakata. And when he shows up, Jackson gets the other the upper hand on Detective Komai and knocks him out with a swift karate chop. And this was funny to me because like a little bit later in the movie, they discuss the fact that he can karate chop people and they're like, oh, that's unusual. The karate chop is a Japanese trick. <laughs> and they're kind of disappointed in the detective for being knocked out by a karate as if all Japanese people should be immune to the karate chop. <laughs> you fell for one of our own tricks? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, this fucking movie. Yeah. And Mark Jackson actually apologizes to Dr. Munakata before stealing his diamonds. So he steals the diamonds, he bails. And on the street outside, Jackson stopped by the other jewel thieves who believe that he's responsible for the earlier failed heist. And they him like and his force, ghost powers with his ghost powers. Right. So they force him to come along to their headquarters. And Mark Jackson, while in the headquarters, is like, why don't why don't we work together? But instead, they like they take all the diamonds that he has, the diamonds that he took from Dr. Munakata. And then we go to the next morning and the doctor's refusing to file a report for the theft of the diamonds because they're not even real diamonds. They're artificial ones that he was studying. So Mark Jackson just stole fake diamonds. And uh, the detective is leading an investigation into the string of recent diamond thefts. And he brings in Dr. Munakata and his assistant on board to help. And he says that the Police suspect that Jackson's working with that gang known as the International Diamond Robbers. Uh, you know, very creative <laughs> naming. Yeah. I mean, it's to the point. I don't think they name themselves. <laughs> and they are suspected of multiple thefts around the world, including the disappearance of the diamonds at this Tokyo shop, even though we know, you and I know, an alien did that. Or, or and, ghosts. Or ghosts. Space, space ghosts. Robbing diamonds from coast to coast. That's right. (laughs) Missed that show. In reality, uh, they've only actually pulled off one heist in Paris. And they discuss that, and they discuss the fact that they don't know how the the vault door was so easily penetrated. Now, while this is going on, one of the gangsters from from the international diamond robbers is inspecting the diamonds, and he realizes these are fake. These are not real diamonds. And Mark Jackson didn't actually know that. And he's taken prisoner by the gang. Oh, gosh, gang. Looks like I got looks like I got got too. Oh, well, I'm going to go now. (laughs) Like, (laughs) he has such a talent for in the middle of a scene when everybody clearly wants to get this man. Him just thinking, I'm going to just walk away by everybody. And they're like, you can't do that. And he's like, yes, I can. I'm white. Yeah. (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Yeah, he shows off more of his martial arts skills again, but, like, no, he manages to fight his way out of every situation for no reason. Like, there's no reason he should be this good. Oh, good. I've looked up the actor who played 
Mark Jackson. Yeah. And I have incredible news. I'm going to hold this for later. Okay. But I do I do want to tease that I have just now learned some incredible news about this man. Okay. And we will we will discuss that after the plot summary. Because I finally have a piece of behind the scenes cuz there's nothing for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, Detective Komai is walking someone he's working with for the investigation Masayo to her home in the industrial section of town which is near a coal processing factory. And there, there's a couple scenes, and I think it's because of the dub, that happen here that are really awkward because there's like a scene where she's like, oh, you're such a romantic. And he's like, don't make fun of me. <laughs> I know that's, that's not yeah, I think I Well, I think it, a couple <laughs> of the, like, it, it's a relatively, from everything I can tell, a relatively straightforward edit to the uh, American version. I don't think it's heavily edited or anything, but when you try to translate a lot of these jokes very literally, I don't think they always land. And that was often how they did it back in the day was they would translate jokes super literally. And you know, it just didn't, didn't work. So I wish I could have found uh, a, a Japanese copy of this, but I'm stuck with what I got. So we had what we had. Yeah. So, So she introduces her brother, who's a researcher with the Space Exploration Committee, and they all watch as a coal plant is attacked by some unseen force that starts snapping a a smokestack in half, and it sucks up all the coal into the sky, and the, the researcher guy recognizes that the sound of the force is the same as the recently unexplained disappearance of a communication satellite in orbit over Japan. So the the noise of the satellite disappearing at the beginning of the movie. And so the next night, Komai goes back to tracking Mark Jackson to his Tokyo hotel suite. And Mark Jackson's in a hurry to get away, saying he's trying to meet with one of his friends. And the detective tries to detain him, but I wrote that his deceptiveness allows him to get away. And what I mean by that is that he pulls out a pop confetti gun. Yes, and the and the cop <laughs> is like, oh no, you're not allowed to have a gun. You're under arrest. And he goes, okay, well, I'm going to go now. And the cop is like, you you can't just walk away. You're under arrest and points the gun at him. And then, yeah, it, it just, just does confetti. It just shoots confetti. And then, and then Mark <laughs> Jackson's just like, see, cool. I'm going to go now. See, I don't have a gun. Yeah. Bye. See you later. <laughs> um, At some point in the movie, like somebody sneaks into his hotel room or wherever he is. And as they're trying to leave, he goes, no, you have to leave the way you came. And the guy just goes back out to the balcony and climbs down. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. I have that as a separate note for Mark Jackson has happens. super hypnotism powers, too. <laughs> yeah. Because like the dude came in from the balcony, like he climbed between balconies to get there. His superpower is literally just the unearned <laughs> confidence of a white man in Japan. <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now, of course, Mark Jackson is meeting with the international diamond robbers, uh, and they are planning to hit a truck that's transporting raw diamonds from Yokohama. Um, and Jackson, because he, as he keeps saying, he's not a diamond robber. Uh, he's attempting to break up the heist. But the the gang does manage to remove all the diamonds and send a, a hijacked coal truck down the road towards his position. And suddenly this truck is also lifted up into the air and the and the entity starts sucking up the coal. 
uh, and it just drops the truck back down and, you know, everybody runs away. So right now we just have this this ghost alien just sucking up coal. Only in Japan, I guess. But, well, you know. I thought the, the implication was that it had also hit all of those diamond heists all over the world that were attributed to this crew. I wasn't sure on that. Like, I think they meant to imply that, but that I think that they're also saying that this crew had been doing it for a long time. So unless yeah. the space jellyfish has been doing this for a long time, I'm not sure. Yeah. It, uh, again, it's kind of like the, the magical lifting thing. Is it invisible tentacles or is it psychic magic? Like what's going right. on? We don't even know that it's a jellyfish yet. We've just seen a couple blue amoeba blobs and invisibles. Yeah. There's like a blue overlay that shows up when it's around sometimes, but yeah, we haven't seen anything. So, Mark Jackson then goes to visit Dr. Munakata because, as we know, Mark Jackson is the hero of the story and he's trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and uh, knowing that Mark Jackson has shown up, Masayo alerts Detective Komai and then the police show up to try to apprehend him. And Mark Jackson reveals that he works as a diamond G-man for the World Diamond Insurance Association. <laughs> I, I simply did not know how to take this information. <laughs> I still feel like it's a lie. Yeah, they don't. I, I still don't know. I have no idea what this man's motives are. He's like, are. you could say I'm like a diamond G-man. And it's like, what does that mean? Could you say that? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Who says this? I don't know. But he is after the international diamond robbers himself. But he has realized that it's impossible for this, for this group to have been responsible for every high-profile diamond heist they're suspected of but he doesn't know who's responsible. And so we go back to the thieves headquarters and they discover that the diamonds in the truck had been replaced by sugar cubes. <laughs> so they had stolen sugar cubes and replaced them with coal. Uh, Kirino enters with a report on the mysterious energy. Kirino again being like Masayo's friend, brother who's like the researcher guy. Yeah. Um, and they've concluded that the, the, the space cells in orbit had been transformed by atmospheric radiation into a monster that they're calling Dogara, which targets coal and diamonds because of their specific carbon content. And when they mentioned this, that's when I decided that the reason that Dogara could lift us is because we're carbon-based life forms. Yeah, sure. And I that, mean, I that's guess. just as much science as, like, Gorath was. Yeah, so. they do also, <laughs> at one point, they're like, well, hang on, if it really likes diamonds best but it also likes coal, then clearly what it wants is carbon in general, and God fucking help us if we run out of diamonds, because we're carbon. Right. It'll eat us. Right. I was like, that's logic. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean that unironically, but also fucking, I'm just along for the ride at this point. Yeah, no, this, this movie is wacky. The police are trying to explain why Dagora attacked only a coal transport the other night because they're like, oh, doesn't it only want diamonds? I guess it doesn't only want diamonds. You know, they're trying to figure that out. Yeah. And Komai hits on the idea that the diamonds were actually fake. And despite Jackson's recent cooperation with the authorities, Komai again suspects him of having stolen and hidden the real diamonds that night. So he thinks that Mark Jackson took the diamonds, put sugar cubes in their place, and then the international diamond robbers took the sugar cubes and like left coal. So we're getting really intricate now. We're getting into like some <laughs> some fucking uh, the the cup game. 
Yeah. You know, except yeah. with diamonds, and I guess it fooled the jellyfish too. I don't know. Yeah. So the they jellyfish, that which Jack- again we have not seen. Right. So they learn that Jackson skipped town and they, they are now in Kitakyushu. And this is the scene where he climbs down the balcony and goes into the room. And Mark Jackson's like, no, you need to leave the way you came in. And so yeah. he just does. <laughs> and he just does. He's like, well, I, you know, he asked nicely. I don't know uh, how I could not. I guess I'm climbing down the balcony again. I guess so. Um, <clears throat> and coincidentally, the doctor and Masaya are there for research. And they join up with the JSDF detachment tasked with protecting coal mines from Dogura somehow. And... At this point, a radar picks up a mass at 20,000 feet, and they think it's the monster, but it's actually a giant swarm of wasps. So, enormous rock chunks start raining all over the region, and all the space cells that they've been detecting start converging into this giant colossal form. And now we actually see Dogura kind of, like the tentacles and stuff coming down. And it starts just ravaging the city from the sky. And they start coordinating an attack. And they start shooting like defensive mi- missiles at it. But their missiles trigger a fission reaction in Dogura. And that causes it to multiply. And this scene is one of the, the lovely scenes that we've had on several movies in this podcast. Where the military shoots a thing for 10 minutes. Yeah, we gotta <laughs> have one of those. I don't know. We were doing pretty good for a while. (laughs) But that happens again. And so what they actually discover is that the rocks that fell from the sky are actually crystallized space cells, which were created by wasp toxins that were a catalyst for it hardening and falling to the earth. And so they decide their idea is they're going to like infuse shells with this wasp toxin so that they can harden the space ghost so that it will fall to the Earth. Some real Parasite Eve logic, but I'm with it so far. Yeah, but on the other hand, like, if, if you really just think about the sentences that I just said. Um, yeah, it's a yeah. lot of sentence. Uh, yeah. So Detective Komai drops in on Jackson one more time, but this time they're ambushed by the gang, who had once again suspected that Jackson had switched the diamonds with sugar. They discover a safe deposit key, and the boss entrusts his operatives to retrieve the diamonds while the rest of the gang tie up the detective and Jackson to several sticks of dynamite. Because we're at that point now. Dogra appears again, and in the confusion, one of the, the, mem- the gang members makes off with the diamonds, and the other one that was entrusted with the diamonds comes back and informs the partners of her deception. And the boss lights the fuse and they take off after the double crosser. And they know that they're supposed to escape to a nearby cove. So this fuse is burning away, but Detective Komai is able to slip his bonds and he and Jackson escape the trap. And honestly, this, this is the point of the movie, is that they are trying to get these, these diamonds back now. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's two separate movies at this point. The military is dealing with the space jellyfish and Mark Jackson and Detective Komai want the diamonds back from the diamond thieves. Right. And Which, at this point, has got to feel like really far less important in the grand scheme of things than you would think that, the space no. jellyfish that might potentially <laughs> consume all carbon-based matter on Earth. You'd think that. 
But <laughs> the Diamond Heist Gang catches up to the lady that ran off with their diamonds, one of their members. And behind them is Komai, Mark Jackson, the police, and they all show up. They're all here, and then a firefight breaks out. And the girl that stole the diamonds tries to escape, but she's shot by the boss, and she dies clutching the diamonds, basically. And meanwhile, the JSTF is shooting these these wasp shells at Dogura, and the toxin works, but Dogura starts crystallizing and falling down on the beach. And no one's really supposed to be in this area right now, but the giant crystals start raining down on the beach, and it, and it just crushes the Diamond Thief gang. And they bring out jets and tanks, and they just keep firing at Dogura again, and they defeat it. They sure do. Chris- they, yeah, they do. <laughs> and then we go to Detective Komai seeing Jackson off at the airport, because I guess they're, they're buddies now. And Jackson reveals that the diamonds that Hamako stole, that the girl stole earlier, were also fake. He had so they those didn't out need for- to do. <laughs> God, this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, no, Mark Jackson had had exchanged diamond that was in a truck for sugar cubes. The thief gang had exchanged the sugar cubes for coal. And then Mark Jackson left a trail for them to follow to the safe deposit box, which also had fake diamonds in it while he made off with the real diamonds. What incredible (laughs) fucking just Mark fucking Jackson. That's right. And he asked Detective Komai to sign off on his official report saying that he got the diamonds back, quote unquote, back. And so Jackson boards his flight to the U.S. with the with Dr. Munakata, who is going to try to present to the U.N. a practical application for the space cells energy that they found. And that's the end. Mark Jackson got the diamonds. And I don't know if he's a good guy or not, but he got the diamonds. This movie feels like two separate movies that that fuse together one a diamond heist movie and one a, a, a just a brief bit of a giant monster movie and somehow the fusion of these two movies glitched and created mark jackson a character <laughs> yeah. within the film who is not part of the script and who defies the laws of of film like that's yeah. the best way i have described this movie and and even the monster attack sequence like when dagora itself is actually attacking is so weird because some shots of the tentacles doing things are completely hand drawn. Like, like where, where the tentacles are coming down, the tentacles are hand drawn Mm -hmm. and it looks kind of chitsy, but like, it's not bad integration of the hand drawn elements with the, the set, you know, where it's ripping apart and pulling up the bridge and what have you. But you get these really excellent shots of this jellyfish monster puppet in the sky where only like the bottom half of it can be seen as it's partially descended from the clouds. And that's some really good cosmic horror shit. Yeah. 
I mean, so no, Dogura looks good. Yeah. So we we move directly into talking about Dogura itself a little bit, but like the the few parts that it's actually on screen are either those hand drawn elements or it's it's some kind of puppet that they placed in a tank of water and filmed from below and then superimposed into the scene, which is how they did That's that. That's what I thought they did, yeah. So it looks really interesting in those shots, and it's it's very eerie, it's haunting, it is very Lovecraftian. Um, like, the scope of it is is very good. The way it moves is very creepy. I love those couple of shots, and it really is only a couple of shots. But then sometimes the tentacles are instead animated as they do anything that interacts with like the set. And sometimes it just has to be invisible because that would have cost more money to have it there. Right. And that still doesn't explain, Okay, maybe it's picking things up around it. But why was the dude just floating down the street in the beginning? Be funny. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm not sure. Oh, the, the Gora in those couple of shots is very cool. That's that's where I was thinking about Junji Ito, and that might be where I I, I typed that in. Is it, it reminded me a lot of there is an Ito short story about like a weird tree in the Amazon, where if you if you eat the honey, the the tentacles may like snap down from the sky all of a sudden and smash you at like lightning speed, but they're basically invisible. And I don't know, like the the cosmic horror elements plus the invisible tentacles kind of gave me that like connection in my head. But some of the best shots in this movie, especially of the Degora puppet, are very reminiscent of like Ito's take on cosmic horror. Or I guess I should say it's more the other way around because this came well before Ito. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 just a very Japanese aesthetic on cosmic horror, and I kind of love it. But it's only there for those couple shots. Is that Ito thing splatter film? I have not. It might be. Okay. I don't remember the name of most of the short stories. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the one. And they just keep getting like squished. Yeah. And they find the one guy finds the tree at the end and like the tentacles are flitting in and out of space. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read Junji Ito. It's all good. So this movie was made by the Dream Team. It's it's Ishiro Honda. It's Eiji Tsuburaya doing the effects. And it's uh, Akira Ifukube doing the score, which it had a pretty good musical score. You could tell it's Ifukube just from listening to it. But like other than that, it seems to be a, a really drama free and straightforward production. I could find no information about it being like a hacked to death American edit. I can find no information about weird shit going on behind the scenes. Our wonderful, wonderful suit actor boy, Haruo Nakajima did not get injured on the set of this film, largely because he was not on the set of this film. Yeah. I was going to say, where would he be? Nothing for him to do, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, this movie was made between two other movies in 1964 because we just recorded for Mothra versus Godzilla, which was released in 1964. And then Dagora was released in 1964. And then our next movie for the season finale, Ghidorah, the three headed monster was also released in 1964. So Ishiro Honda was very busy and it kind with, with big budget 
like sci-fi monster movies. And it kind of feels like Degore is the one that suffered where they just, ah, we have the script. We'll put it together. We'll, you know, it doesn't totally work, but let's throw this fucker out there. I've got three weeks in between movies to make this movie. Let's go. (laughs) It does seem like they just had like a couple really funny ideas. They wanted to get out there. Yeah. And then they just went through it. So in, in, in lieu of any other interesting behind the movie information, I want to talk to you about Robert Dunham, who is the, 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 the person who plays Mark Jackson. So Robert Dunham, I'm going to read the first line from his Wikipedia entry. Okay was an American actor, entrepreneur, writer, race car driver, journalist, and a U.S. Marine. So, real (laughs) wild selection of talents there. (laughs) Um, So this guy, this guy, there, there were some Americans you know, living in Japan during this era of, of film. He was kind of right. unique for actually speaking Japanese pretty fluently, so he didn't need to be overdubbed. Uh, he didn't have any major roles. Mark Jackson's probably his largest actual role in a movie, but I just want to read to you a couple of other things that he was in. So he was the police chief of Newkirk City and Mothra for probably oh. all of one shot. He was a pilot just a random pilot in King Kong versus Godzilla. Okay. He was a random U S Navy soldier in Mothra versus Godzilla. Okay. He's Mark Jackson here. And he becomes the emperor of Seatopia <laughs> in Godzilla versus Megalon coming down the road sometime in season two. Okay. Well, knowing nothing about Seatopia, do you think that this is Mark Jackson? I that becomes that becomes the emperor of Seatopia. I actually would not be surprised if it's the other way around that the emperor of Seatopia was secretly Mark Jackson all along. <laughs> Mark Jackson is the alter ego and the emperor of Seatopia is the actual actual man. Um but and this look this could simply be that somebody made an edit on a Wikipedia page that has been allowed to sit for a very long time on a not particularly noteworthy human being. But in a film called Hakuchu no Khan, he is apparently credited as a Southern cracker. Uh, oh. <laughs> and hang on, hang on. We're going to IMDB this shit right now because I do need to know. I can't go simply off of Wikipedia. Only a fool would do that. No, no, IMDb confirms. IMDb confirms Robert Dunham is credited as a Southern cracker. Okay, it's probably safe cracker because it seems to be like a robbery, like in crime movie. Okay, but I really was like, that has so many connotations. I don't know. Yeah, but he sure do be. He do be. (laughs) He do be. So, I don't know. There's not a lot behind this movie. I mean, it just seems like a pretty straightforward production. They they dusted this old script off and they got to work on it and it it didn't super 100% work, but they got a couple interesting shots and some really interesting performances and moments out of it and then they moved on to the thing that this really does feel like it's an in-betweener thing. This was a cool down. So because they just finished, they just all three of these major figures had just finished with Mothra versus Godzilla, and they were just about to make maybe their most ambitious movie. And this was like, yeah, we can do this in the meantime. 
Listen. I'm listening. This is a movie about our insignificance in the universe and greed. I'm really glad you have something to say because uh, <laughs> under politics and themes, I simply wrote, ooh. So. I mean, okay. So, I mean, it, it's about people squabbling over diamonds while there's a giant jellyfish that could just strip the flesh off of our bones. Yeah, but it's like diamond robbers and also a detective and also a guy who works Mark for Jackson. the yeah, Mark Jackson who works for in diamond insurance or something like so yeah. it's kind of just everybody doing their jobs. I mean, if a giant space jellyfish <laughs> came down from the sky tomorrow, I'd still go to work. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does suck. <laughs> that sucks. It does, but like <laughs> it sucks less when you consider that I work in, in television and news for my actual sure. job. But like you you would have to pay attention to it. Yeah. But anyway, but, like, yeah, it's I, I mean, don't know. This, the robbers were crushed by it when they when they were trying to get away with these. Very also funny fake scene. Yeah. Very, very Looney Tunes. Yeah. I don't know. This movie I don't even think Honda wanted this movie to mean anything. No. Like he was just like, I yeah. was I was definitely just bullshitting a second ago. Yeah. <laughs> we got the we got the diamond heist movie with the space jellyfish and, and we're gonna let this fucking ginger guy over here just let loose <laughs> on the script. I don't they didn't even hand this guy a script. He just showed up and they were like, ah, do whatever. We'll we'll edit around it. And he was like, sounds good. And then he snorted a huge line of cocaine and went to work. (laughs) So is this movie even good? This is going to be like one of our shortest episodes ever. But like, is this movie even good? I I still don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I said earlier, this is probably the okayest movie we've watched. And I, I really stand by that. Like, you look at mothra and rodan and all these like deep message filled movies and you look at like godzilla tricks again and you know all the these these less good movies you know varen yeah and this is in the middle like varen is noteworthy for how bad it is godzilla godzilla raids again is notably bad and also kind of absurd sorry yeah whatever kill me yes i will (laughs) No, um, but this movie's like there's some memetically funny elements to it, but yeah, like and there's a couple of just really excellent shots. But beyond that, I don't know. This, this is really like this feels like something that I would have seen on like TNT back in the day is like filler at 2 p.m. on a Saturday. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That not to get really specific here, but. So I don't know. I liked some parts of it. I liked Mark Jackson because he did not give a shit what movie was happening around him. He was bound and determined to make his own movie. I like those couple shots of Degora. I don't know. I disliked the movie. Didn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wish it were more coherent. Yeah. And that would have been a very different movie if it were coherent. Yeah. But, so. Yeah. What's funny is this this fucking nothing movie. A lot of these movies have had slightly tenuous connections to Godzilla, right? I mean, Mysterians, you know, Mogera gets redesigned and reused sometime in the 90s. Okay. Uh, Gorath, the star Gorath is mentioned again in a future Godzilla movie. Matango, 
you know, there's an appearance in like a children's show and the NES game. And Degora kind of fits in a lot of that. Degora is in that NES Godzilla Monster of Monsters. Uh, it does appear in that children's series Godzilla Island. But what's kind of interesting is that Degora, for being a not super noteworthy non-Godzilla monster, gets tied into the prehistory of of a couple of Godzilla things. So the the 2000s, there are two connected movies starring Mechagodzilla. And a bunch of these random unconnected Showa-era films exist explicitly in the history of this movie. So, like, Degora is one of them. And then Degora also is a part of the backstory, although I don't think ever on screen, for the animated Netflix trilogy of movies, which we will eventually be getting to, and I have very complicated thoughts on. So, like, it's another one of those, this thing has never really made a big starring role, but it kind of keeps managing to pop up in things. So, well, I mean, not there's much you can do with it. It's a big space jellyfish eats diamonds. Gets killed by wasps. The the person that made the 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 series of movies that you're like making a, a movie that is a part of that was the worst sentence ever. If you're making a Godzilla movie or something related to Godzilla, and you have this to work with the guy that made that also made, you may as well. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I mean, to a certain extent, I think that's happening with a lot of Honda's movies. Honda makes so many weird they don't ever get fully connected to Godzilla but then they become connected through all these ancillary kind of you know they appear in this game or this series that never gets localized and was intended for children or they happen in the backdrop of other things and I I don't know if any other non-Godzilla like not explicitly Godzilla films are made by anybody but Honda. That's the thing I'm going to look up real quick, actually. It would help if I knew how to spell any word that has ever been written. And then I need to pull up the episode list. Let's do some comparison here. So other slightly less connected to Godzilla movies coming up in season two of Castle Bravo. Because, of course, by... by Partway through season two, this has become the entire, like, this is just the Godzilla show all the way through. So let's see. Frankenstein Conquers the World. That's Ishiro Honda. Uh, War of the Gargantuas. That's Ishiro Honda. Let's see. We have uh, King Kong Escapes. That's Ishiro Honda. We have Space Amoeba. That's Ishiro Honda. So, like... There's a bunch of non-Godzilla movies that either get directly pulled into Godzilla or become kind of tangentially connected to Godzilla through a lot of these these side projects, through being in, in this children's series that's about Godzilla, you know, which I guess counts. But it's all Ishiro Honda. It's all his movies. So it's really Ishiro Honda's filmography becomes the pedestal upon which... Godzilla gets built as a franchise and everything new that comes once Ishiro Honda stops being involved just comes through new Godzilla movies. 
or in a couple cases, Mothra movies. But I mean, Mothra is so thoroughly by the 90s. Mothra is so thoroughly established as a a side player for Godzilla that, you know, those are spinoffs. It doesn't count. Yeah. You know, nobody makes like a standalone movie in the 80s or 90s that then gets connected to Godzilla. It's all the, the, the rock upon which this is built is all Ishiro Honda. All this one weird, interesting guy who was forced into World War II against his will, who has played with some very weird angles in his filmography through this time, who has tried to push some kind of very interesting and very, I, I want to use the word progressive for his time, but with the kind of asterisk that, again, I don't think you can put politics on a clean left versus right spectrum when you're talking about 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Yeah. And in another country. Yeah. So, but so, and then that, that makes it interesting then that every movie we've looked at so far in Castle Bravo, with the exception of Godzilla raids again, which does in retrospect feel like kind of a cheap cash in by the studio, but everything else here is for, for better or worse, all Ishiro Honda. It's all this one guy. Yeah. So, you know, Tagore is kind of a weird ass movie, but it it helps us see kind of the totality of this man from which everything down the road will become based on. So I don't know that I have anything more to say about Tagore itself. Me neither. Yeah. It's a weird movie. It's an interesting movie. It fills in some blanks for us, but it's, you know, not not, I think, the most noteworthy film in his filmography. Um, it was extremely okay. It, it sure was. It sure was. <laughs> I don't know that I'll watch it again, but I'm not likely to forget it either. So there's that. Right. So. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you all so much for joining us both on our journey and for this film specifically. Next week, the season finale of Castle Bravo and a landmark moment for Godzilla as a franchise. Really, Godzilla finally becoming a franchise in a lot of ways as Godzilla, Rodan, and Mothra all collide in Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. That's my favorite monster. Yeah, you've never seen this movie. <laughs> this is one of the many, many... You've, you've not seen most of these, obviously, but you haven't seen this one coming up? Right, no. I, I like Ghidorah because of everything Ghidorah's been in yeah. that I have interacted well, with. You're going to get to see Ghidorah's the origin, the, the first movie yeah. that Ghidorah ever appears in. I really like this movie and I'm very excited to watch it. Once again, I've never seen the Japanese cut. I've only ever seen the American cut with the bad English like Hong Kong dub. And I'm really excited to see this in its original format. I think I've only ever seen it in full screen and obviously it's going to be in widescreen. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this one. So Dagora was the necessary cooldown in between the the incredible Mothra versus Godzilla and I think the the equally incredible Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. So, yeah, next week can be fun. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter for more of our sparkling personalities. I'm at Derby City Derek. And I'm at Vicero Complex. And you can follow the show itself at Castle Bravo Pod for production updates. Take care, everyone. Bye. Castle Bravo is a production of Derek Van Dyke and Charlotte Landale. All editing is performed by Derek Van Dyke. Special thanks to Julianne Lamont for designing our original art assets and to David Van Dyke for providing our theme song, Pools of Memory.